and welcome to this week's Crikey Goes Global <laughs> edition of Spin Cycle. <clears throat> I had some better gags, but the lawyers <clears throat> kiboshed them. Broadcasting from the unceded lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation, always was, always will be. I'm Jess Lilly, and I'm in the studio with Charlie Lewis, one of 40 crikey journalists, according to the <laughs> ages, Chip Legrand. How are you, Charlie? <laughs> oh, you know, chill. <laughs> Not much going on. <laughs> um, <laughs> it is uh, very beautiful in Triple R this evening. It's Radiothon Eve. There's a disco light going in the foyer. It's genuinely magical. <laughs> Um, it is beautiful. There's lights everywhere. There's posters everywhere. The entire studio is filled with prizes that people can win when you subscribe. But all of that kicks off with the breakfasters tomorrow morning. So no doubt you will hear a lot about it over the next 10 days. Um, we uh, will, of course, be doing our own mega Radiothon show Next week, Najma will be back. We thought she'd be with us this evening, but she's on the sports round at the age and um, got slammed with some stories today. I had a giggle when I saw she was on the call out for some hardcore Collingwood supporters. <laughs> yes, I saw that, yeah. <laughs> for one of her stories. So she's in the trenches and uh, I'm really looking forward to hearing about that. Uh, we are guest-free this evening, but next week we, Naj will be in the studio, a studio as will the brilliant and very dynamic and awesomely energetic, big fan of community radio, Patricia Carvelas, otherwise known as PK. So make sure you tune in to Spin Cycle next Thursday and subscribe, of course. We don't want to be those... Lonely losers <laughs> with no names, no names to read out. Um, uh, but uh, there are a few stories to talk about this week. Charlie, your employer, Crikey, is the biggest media news story this week, which puts you in a slightly awkward position, uh, given they are now the subject of some defamation proceedings. So I do understand we will need to tread with caution. We're not going to make you spill all the tea because <laughs> um, I, I no doubt that is uh, going to be challenging. But we will talk about that. Um, we are going to have a little chat about um, what happens when critics go rogue mm-hmm. and um, what else are we going to talk about? Did Maybe you... the Finnish Prime Minister? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, the, the coverage of uh, Finnish Prime Minister Sanna Mar- Marin. And of course, we're going to do a bit of a kind of, I guess, reflection in the lead up to Radiothon of um, it sort of, it, 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 it's occurred to us that we've been on air for nearly a year now. Yeah, Radiothon is... kind of coinc- coincides. I think we, we literally started the week after they, yeah, yeah. they would. They were um, kind to us and didn't make us start a brand new show <laughs> in Radiothon. So, because um, I do remember reading out, um, bless him, my um, the bloke that uh, I, I parent children with did subscribe. In the, we had one name to read out, I think, in our very first week on air. So, yeah, that's 12 months that we've been doing Spin Cycle. Yeah, yeah. Just, uh, it's, been, it's been an incredible experience and I think, you know, it'll be, it'll be very nice. We, we, we decided we needed a bit of a chill show for, for various reasons this week and that will be a very nice thing to reflect back on some of the, some of the wonderful interviews and, and, and stories that we've kind of been able to get into. Uh, now, we can't avoid it forever, Charlie. No. <laughs> um, 
and, you know, once again, want to be really clear that we are discussing a story that Charlie has an incredibly vested interest as an employee. But um, how has your week been? What's it been like um, instead of just making the news, becoming sort of the subject of some pretty big news. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you sort of you 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 hit the nail on the head when when you said that it's a slightly awkward position um, to go from, especially in a show like this where we, we just uh, where we we go hard. Well, occasionally, <laughs> or, or just just that, just that we 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 talk about media stories, and and now of course. My employer, not me personally, but my employer is now um, the subject to of a very, very big media story. Um, so can you just uh, – obviously um, everything that we're going to discuss this evening is in the public domain. We're not – there's yeah, – yeah, we're yeah. not adding any juicy gossip. Um, it is an ongoing – well, it's a barely started legal um, proceedings. But can you just recap um, what has happened and how it came to be? Sure, sure. So last week we we sort of hinted at this. Uh, we talked a bit about the fact that Lachlan Murdoch, a story had come out, I believe, that, that the day of the show last week, that um, Lachlan Murdoch, uh, the head of uh, uh, Fox Corporation in, in the US and, and various parts of News Corporation over here, um, had initiated or was was planning to, was threatening to initiate a legal action against against my employer, Crikey. Um, he has now uh, followed through on that. He has... He has f- Followed through on that threat, um, alleging that we have defamed him. Um, and to be fair, we have, and I'll get into a bit more about this in a second. But we did literally invite him to to do so, so he's mm. obliged us there. We can't really um, say we didn't see it coming. <laughs> um, this all stems from a piece that was written by our, our politics editor Bernard Keane uh, back at the end of June, which examined the January six riots that that afflicted the the Capitol building in the U.S. and basically looked at the role uh, that Donald Trump. And his backers in the media, most specifically Fox News, had played in bringing those events about. Uh, we were sent a concerns notice that the next day of that. That's basically a um, a document that sets out: we believe that you have defamed our client in these in these particular ways, and this is what we seek to, to for you to do to amend it. Uh, and we initially took the piece down. Um, and this isn't the first time that's happened. happened. No, no. This is this is. I mean, this is fairly common in Australian, in Australian yeah. media in particular. Yeah. Um, the, you know, and and, and uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a thing that you couldn't do in the US, which is why uh, we have not seen US outlets who've said the same sorts of things as us. We haven't seen them all before the courts because it's just not available to you to do that. Yeah. As a uh, again, it highlights the incredibly. Um, you know, unique defamation laws that we have in this country. Yes, indeed, it does. Um, and so, yeah, so, so, so public figures sending these kinds of things is, is, is not a, an uncommon thing. In this case, we decided that we would uh, put it back up. We've then followed that up with um, basically an, an open letter, an, an advert that ran uh, well in the New York Times and, and in the Canberra Times in Australia. Uh, a, few, a few papers that the agent, the Sydney Morning Herald most notably, uh, declined to, to run the ad. Um, which basically, it basically invited um, uh, Mr. Murdoch to sue us. Yeah, we basically said we stand by this piece of work, um, and we'd like to, and we'd like to test this in court. We'd like to see what what a what a judge would have to say about about whether this actually does uh, reach the level of defamation. Um, we also have published uh, the correspondence that we received from from uh, Mr. Murdoch's lawyer uh, in the interim to kind of give people a bit of a sense of how that process works behind the scenes. Um, so yeah, and 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 we knew it would get some 
some attention. Um, but I, I don't think we any of us were quite ready for quite. <laughs> it, it really did blow up uh, kind of all over the world. I mean, Al, Al Jazeera, New York Times, The Washington Post, Axios, uh, the BBC, um, The CNN. Telegraph, CNN, um, uh, and uh, obviously, and, and, and now the, the, the papers in Australia and, and, and the ABC here. Have, have all have all covered it. Um, well, I guess I mean discussions of you know um, Murdoch's influence and and you know who Murdoch is uh, is so relevant globally. Sure, sure, it's it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a global global business and therefore therefore it's of interest to, to, to many people. And I'm curious to know about visits to the site. Were there were you overwhelmed by was Crikey overwhelmed by traffic <laughs> at any point or we, we've seen a, a, a I'd say a, a notable uptick in in, in, <laughs> in, our, in our click rate. This. <laughs> these, these past few days, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, uh, you know, again, we'll only get to what's on the public record and maybe we need to have a um, a code, a safe word, if you, <laughs> if you feel like. Hold me, Rupert, or something, if you feel uncomfortable. Um, but um, Murdoch has come out in the, in the last couple of days accusing Crikey of doing this simply to gain – as as for, as for commercial reasons, mm-hmm. um, and to you know simply gain more subscribers, I imagine probably need quite a few subscribers to pay for something like this. There are probably easier ways to get <laughs> subscribers. But what is at the crux of the um, of Crikey's position in the sense that, or why they chose, or why they feel why Crikey feels that it's so important in terms of freedom of press. Um, yeah, I mean, I suppose it is the um, it is it comes down to the principle of uh, of what constitutes a fair comment in mm. this country and what uh, what can be taken off the public record or has to be apologised for if the person um, behind that claim has enough resources to 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 make that quite a, a scary prospect. And I think this just felt like a, a bit of a a step too far for for uh, the people who, mm. who run Crikey and, and run private media, which owns us. Mm. The flow of inf- information, you know, um, can get could have started and stopped according to the court of law. Doesn't feel fair p- potentially, but we're not going into legal arguments. Um, the uh, support hasn't necessarily been universal uh, in mm. the media, or not necessarily support. I guess there have been um, some criticisms. There was an article. In the age um, this morning from Chip Legrand, um, that was a little bit snarky. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm in no position to get angry if any, at anyone who's snarky towards my employer. <laughs> <laughs> but I guess you know there are there are people who are oh, yes, questioning absolutely, absolutely. you know who aren't necessarily falling in 100 percent behind the behind the cause. I did. Um, you know, and and it'll it'll obviously all play out over the coming weeks and months. Um, I, I I thought it was interesting reading um, Chip's article this morning. Well, actually, not even just the article. There was um, the tweet that he wrote attached to the article was: if you click on the Crikey homepage, you'll find a volume and tone of anti Murdoch articles sillier than any campaign News Corp has ever run. And I thought to myself. <laughs> There are going to be some people who seriously disagree with you on that point, Chip. Like, I don't know, Yasmin Al-Majid, who was kind of run out of the country. Ros Ward, you know, who had her safe schools program shut down and had lost her job. Gillian uh, Triggs. Etc. Etc. Um, I, I would I would simply say that that that, uh, that Chip is entitled to his views. <laughs> um, 
uh, and look, say look, no more. I mean, the thing that, that we all had a, a bit of a giggle about in the office was was uh, that he uh, he said that you know that, that the real victims at the end of all of this is that if if Crikey is sent to the wall by this action, there'll, there'll be forty journalists who lose their jobs. And we, oh yes, we, we we thought that would be very nice if we had forty colleagues. Um, how many journalists are there at Crikey? It, it, depending on how you count it, uh, whether it's you know sort of regular contributors or people who are actually staff reporters. It's around eleven, I think. Yeah, um, yeah, and it's and actually, what kind of was funny about that uh, was it kind of contrasted. Where he got that from? Um, yeah, that I don't know. Um, uh, what that 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 really contrasted quite amusingly with a lot of the other coverage that we got. That was that was like relatively. Um, just neutral factual accounts of, of what it was, but like every every kind of international publication that covered us was like small Australian news website, and we were like, well, that's probably fair, especially relative to, yeah, to, yeah. to the yeah. Um, but like some people were like really like the, the, like Minnow came up a lot. Minnow Publisher was another one that kind of was described <laughs> boutique as boutique publisher. Uh, I don't think oh, I didn't see boutique, but that, I've seen boutique. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. Um, and I mean, a, a former Prime Minister Malcolm Turnbull was on the ABC. Was asked about it, um, and. He, you know, he had he had his thoughts, and he he um and again he was re- he was quite supportive, but he but he said this this tiny little newsletter in Australia, crikey. You know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so I think uh, I, I I probably uh, think that that might have a bit more accuracy <laughs> than, than than the forty journalists. Uh, well, figure. it's a tiny newsletter that is currently being uh, looked at uh, around the world, and with that, Charlie, you can probably relax because <laughs> we will turn our attention to other subjects now. Radio three triple This week, in journalists unnecessarily drawing attention to themselves, <laughs> New York Times film critic Lena Wilson has not had the best week. I had never heard of her before. Um, and perhaps she could should have kept it that way. Uh, her week started with an effort to draw public sympathy and ended with her deleting all of her social media accounts. So the drama began with um, Lena writing a pretty scathing review of the film Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. Um, Bodies, Bodies, Bodies sounds like a kind of, you know, modern day slasher flick that... Like sort of comedy horror. Yeah, yeah. looks at the, you know, every, there's all of... The, every, every decade there's one of those films that mm. kind of skewers the preoccupations of... Young and the vanities of young people, and it kind of looks like it does that. The director has dubbed it Lord of the Flies meets Mean Girls. <laughs> <laughs> In her review, Lena called the, fl- the film bloated with pompous irony and perfectly tailored to one of A24's key demographics, bougie 25-year-olds with value brand- who value branding over substance, A24 being the film production company. Mm. I think... Um, They've done Zola and a bunch of other films. Yeah, yeah. The kind of like sort of – you'd sort of call them, I guess, mainstream art house, wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. I, I mean, I thought Zola was great. I don't know. I haven't Actually, really I haven't seen, seen Zola. Films. Um, she also referred to the film as a 95-minute advertisement for Cleavage. I'm getting the vibe. Lena Wilson from the New York Times did not like Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. <laughs> Um, in response, actor Amanda Stenberg, who also happens to be this film's executive producer, sent Wilson a, a private Instagram DM saying, your review was great. 
if you had maybe if you'd gotten your eyes off my tits, you could have watched the movie. <laughs> <laughs> which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> again, nobody would have known, known except that Wilson, the film critic, stick with me people, um, made the DM public in a very earnest TikTok saying she didn't think it was okay for someone with more social power than her to do this. Her caption on the TikTok called Amanda, well, referred to Amanda as a bully. Um, but what she didn't do was mention the specific part of her review, a.k.a. the 95-minute of cleavage, that Mandler was responding to. And she also doubled down on Twitter, accusing Stenberg of homophobia, despite both of them being gay and Mandler's character in the film also being in a gay relationship. And I guess, um, oh, yes, I should say, Mandler Stenberg responded with her own video, this time on Instagram. This this story takes, drama takes in every single (laughs) social media platform. (laughs) Um, saying she meant no harm, thought her DM was hilarious and is pretty much over people talking about her chest as a young woman woman who happens to be quite busty. She said she chose the outfit she wore. She was the only one who had any cleavage, so she took she assumed that um, the that comment was meant for her and really this is where Wilson kind of fell down a little bit because when you look at all the sort of photos of the ensemble cast, there really wasn't any cleavage right, right. <laughs> in what anyone was wearing. Um, and I, I, I know this all sounds very, why do I give a fuck? <laughs> but actually I found the whole thing really fascinating because it was a, I think because, do you remember one of the um, guests we had a while back was um, Twee on yeah, who is yeah, the, yeah. Um, mm. uh, she is with Arts Hub. Um, and she talked to us about criti- being a theatre critic and, and just being a critic generally and what you have to, you know, the discipline of being a critic and having really thick skin and mm-hmm. not, you know, not not needing to be liked and, and sort of understanding that, you know, she kind of operates in a relatively small kind of circle where she mm-hmm. will know people and she still has to put all personal kind of feelings aside and, and yeah. genuinely critique mm-hmm. th- films, books, whatever she's critiquing. And I just found the whole response from Lena Wilson to to someone, you know, like people aren't always going to agree with no, your no. critique of a, of a film. And for someone who she whose work she was critiquing to privately DM her, I just found that hot, the, her whole response – yeah, it's just a, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I, not to bring everything back to me, but, you know, when you said that, that say, Chip Legrand's piece about us this week was a bit snarky, I, I, and I, I, I actually was being sincere, I am in no position to complain yeah. if people take a tone. Of, I, that's something that Cracky does and something that, that yeah. I do in my writing. But also and, it's not it's not personal. You uh, yeah, know, like. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I think th- this is a really interesting case. I, I'm glad you read quite a bit of that, that review because it wasn't simply down to that one line. It was a fairly scathing review. Yeah. Uh, I've not seen the film, um, so I can't... Look, Look, I can't comment on whether it that's a great. It definitely does of- not look like my kind of film. <laughs> right, yeah. I watched the review and just thought my my son on a you know last school holidays where he got to choose everything we did, like pancake parlor and <laughs> bungee crap and whatever. We he made me go and see a Jurassic Park film, Jurassic right. World f- <laughs> film. I reckon I'd see that again rather than see this. Like, and that was awful. Like, that was one of the worst. It went forever, two and a half hours or something. Couldn't believe it went for that long. And I'd probably see that you again. You be careful. Chris Pratt's going to be messaging you. <laughs> but um, but that's not the point. It's just not my kind of film. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, and, and, and it's, it's sort of immaterial, isn't it? I yeah. mean, I, it could be 
it could be a perfectly good piece of film criticism. It could yeah. be unfair. Yeah. That's not really the issue. It, it, it's, it doesn't pull its punches and it's, it's, it's fairly, yeah. Um, I, I was surprised though by how, um, you know, that, that, that is pretty into, that's pretty full on to say a 95 minute ad for cleavage, sure. you know, and yeah. I can understand, I could understand, you know, if it was one of those Hollywood films where they put a young actor against a, an older guy and the young woman is just in the most, you know, revealing sure, outfit sure. and it's so male gaze or whatever. But interesting, this car, this film is d- directed by a woman. Um, mm. The ens- it's a it's a young, predominantly female ensemble cast. Um, you know, with characters, you know, of all kind of all on the gender spectrum and and yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. different. Yeah, and, and it I, just seems like a weird. Sure, and I think you know that that's all that's all relevant to some degree but also in it, to a degree there is just a bit of a kind of black and white if you're going to dish out feedback like that yeah the idea that you cannot stand even a slightly snarky response from uh the people who created that art it, it it's um it it seems pro- it, yeah. see, it seems absurd to be a critic if if that's um because i mean yeah, I so if, if you can keep your eyes off, yeah so so that 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 message i mean i think any Journalists worth their salt has received stuff much worse, and I suppose the difference is is that you know uh, Amanda is, uh, is is a bit more of a high profile figure, but, but but still, I think there's also there's a there's a very um, uh, annoying suggestiveness in the someone has more social power than me <gasps> well, I comment. I yeah. think that's, that's, that, that, that is especially a, when your review was in the New York Times. Yes, precisely. <laughs> um, I, I think it's it's a very it's 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 the subsection of, of public discourse, um, and I'm sure we all know what I'm talking about here. That really likes to use um, uh, the, the social justice language to to dress up legitimate criticism as an attack that is actually in some way based on things that it's not i this this really really feels like it's one of those Mm. um where yeah someone writing for arguably the biggest newspaper in the u.s maybe equal them and the washington post would be you know one on two um you you have a fair bit of clout behind you i mean I, i know critics obviously don't uh, don't ha- you know? There's no Roger Ebert anymore. There's no one who mm-hmm. can tank a film with a bad review anymore. But still, you have, as far as cr- criticism goes, you've got a fairly, um, a fairly, you know, fairly sought after position. And, mm. and obviously, another thing that came out in the response is that uh, her father has worked for the New York Times for quite a long time as well. Uh, I don't want to make any allegations about any. Oh kind no, of, a lot but, of people but, accused but a lot of people, her of being a, you know. Um, what do they call them? A nepotism baby, I believe. Nepo is the baby, mm. a nepotism hire, um, and also there's a racial element. Amanda Steen, Amanda Steenberg is black, and um, there was an accusation, accusation that Lena Wilson was also, you know, kind of by ambushing her a little bit and taking this position that was very mm. aggressively accusing her of homophobic, yeah. being homophobic yeah, yeah, yeah. and bullying. Mm. Um, had a had a kind of a bit of a you know, um, nasty kind of subtext there as well. But, I, I, you know, for me it's just like why would you out yourself like that? And if you write a piece of criticism like that, yeah, yeah you have to be prepared for and – for, and it was a private response. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and, and again, you, you could argue – I mean, uh, obviously there, the, the, the Stenberg's argument is that, that she meant it playfully and she meant it yeah. um, as a joke. She basically um, was like from one lesbian to another. Yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> I, th- and, and, I thought you'd find it funny. Yeah, And I can see why the tone didn't – you know, that's, that's one of the things where the, yeah. the tone didn't land maybe and it might have felt like a bit of a threatening, nasty thing to say. 
but it, but honestly, it, you get you get worse. <laughs> you, you, yeah. yeah, yeah. Anyway, she has, uh, as a result, Lena Wilson has removed herself from social media, so I think that backfired. Triple R on FM, digital, online, on demand, podcasts, and via the app. So this is an interesting little media storm that uh, afflicted a prime minister, not not our own uh, for once. Uh, <laughs> Although uh, that is ongoing. <laughs> yeah, well, for sure. Actually, well, I mean, and I suppose that people have drawn parallels uh, with our own experience, but we'll get to that in a second. Um, Finland's prime minister, Sanamaran, was, um, I guess, forced to take a drug test in the last week um, after footage uh, emerged of her, I guess, dancing at a house party, basically, mm. um, and... Uh, there was um, there was reports in the Finnish media um, that was sort of amplified by kind of far right groups and sort of anti government groups and things like that uh, that someone had yelled the phrase the flower gang flower as in the white powder flower not oh not, I see not. right um, well again that's the interpretation although there's um, I mean I quite like the way that the, the Guardian puts it when it covers it it says um, this is supposedly a reference to drugs but it's not clear that the term was used or even what it means. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we can, you know, we can assume that it was supposed to that, that whether it's made up or not, it's supposed mm. to refer to some form of amphetamine. The, um, the, they were casting dispersions on her levels of intoxication. At yeah, the party. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's an interesting, really interesting example. Uh, so she took a, a drug test and, and and it came back clean that she she had not taken. She any... did um, say that she she was drinking at the party. Yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah, she is thirty four as well for some context. Thirty four or thirty seven. I have a, a 34 in The Guardian. Uh, let's she, see, she's in her this? mid to late 30s, shall we say. 34 was the world's youngest elected leader. Oh, I see. Okay, sorry. At the age of 27, she headed up the city council. She's been in politics for a long time. Yes, yes. Um, but it's a really interesting example of one of those stories that kind of just keeps itself going. It sort of sustains itself. Uh, because you have these rumours about uh, – these slightly vague rumours that are from slightly murky provenance um, that are being amplified so much that then the media can then report on that fact. They don't mm. have to make any allegations of their own. Mm. They can simply say people are saying this. You ought to really deal with it. And um, it's it's not very respectable behaviour for a leader of a country, et cetera, et cetera. No, no. And, of course, uh, you know, the, 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 the obvious parallel is drawn with, you know uh, – the fact that we kind of cheer on our prime minister, our, our, our you know largely male prime ministers, when they they down a beer at the you know as happened this week, mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. when Albo where was he Gang of Four or something what, yeah at the Edmore yeah. Theatre, it was kind of like why do they always have to scull the beer? <laughs> yeah, I think it's you know, yeah exactly. It's, it's especially a Labour guy thing as well. Like Is obviously, it? well, well, uh, f- quite famously, um, you know, Bob Hawkes. Uh, it just doesn't seem to, to be down. an Albanese thing. Like, I, no, I wouldn't no. be surprised if he then just was a little weak and <laughs> stumbled and <laughs> fell lightheaded, fell back in his chair. One of the one of there was there was a commentator, and I cannot I've, I can't remember off my head who it was, who complained that um, not that not that Albanese had scalded beer, but that he wasn't wearing a suit. <laughs> Which I thought was very funny. I, I have to. I have to. We'll have to clarify that during the next song break. Who that was that said that? Glorifying <laughs> alcohol consumption is not the problem. It's it's, it's, it's the dress poor co- dress standards. It's the poor yeah. dress standards uh, on a, at a social function of an evening. But of course, um, it's just to sort of, I guess, continue with the the, the Santa Maran thing. I mean, it does also. It it also does get to a certain uh, theme, which is that once you've established. 
um, a certain reputation as a prime minister or, or as any public figure, as any politician, uh, things just seem to happen that fit that narrative. Mm. And that's what the uh, what will kind of form the story around you. So, for example, I mean, I sort of complained a lot when this show first started about a sort of unearned reputation for kind of progressive thoughts on climate change that kept being attributed to Scott Morrison when I was saying there was actually nothing to back up that view. Mm. But he'd gotten the reputation for it and therefore it kind of maintained itself. And then once, of course, he got the reputation as someone who had a real problem with honesty and someone who didn't really deliver and maybe went missing during times of crisis, then that became a self-sufficient story. Nothing he could do could ever stop people reporting it through that lens. Yeah. And so I suppose that the, the, the thing of... Um, of of Senator Marin being being a young woman who, I mean, I think there was a story maybe a year or two ago about her, I guess it must have been about a year ago, going to a music festival and leaving her phone behind. (laughs) And it's like, once you've done that, like the, 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 the kind of uh, narrative of you She's as, the, as, as the a party prime as, minister, yeah, as an irresponsible party girl who can't mm. quite be trusted with high office, that just writes itself. So everything that comes up that kind of fulfills that that narrative is is yeah. Of course, um, there's been a huge amount of commentary, you know, to push back on that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jacinda Ardern has come out to support her. There's an incredible number of you know editorial responses and op eds suggesting that it's just pure sexism and misogyny Mm -hmm. that, you know, people just aren't used to women in leadership positions. And to be honest, if, if that's all she's got going against her, then holy hell, you know, like look at what other leaders of other countries are doing. But it's, it's interesting. I mean, you know, the girl boss kind of op-eds that are really, you know, fiercely defending her (laughs) and fair enough. But, you know, in the sense that if she's being, if, if this is being fixated on, really just to elevate the subtext that she's just a young girl who who mm-hmm. has no place in political leadership then absolutely <laughs> but at the same time <laughs> like part of me is like you know and i remember when i saw a photo of her in the pandemic at a music festival yeah. you know very that very kate moss outfit you know gum, yeah, yeah, gum yeah, boots yeah, yeah, and yeah, little yeah. short shorts i'm like mm. yes this is the i'm exhausted this pandemic is exhausting we need young people who can stay up all night to lead <laughs> to our lead countries the, yeah. at this point in time yeah yeah um but yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like the, I'm um, sort of the jury's out on this one. Like I think it's, you know, like part of me is like, oh my god, if that's the worst she's doing, yeah, then who yeah, cares? Yeah. But then it's also like, I don't know, prime ministers should they leave, take their phone with them to the? Well, I think that, to that's Glastonbury. The thing, is that I, I think I, you, can, you can definitely argue. Uh, not, it wasn't Glastonbury, by the way. I'm not <laughs> accusing her of going for five days without, her, without uh, a shower or without her phone. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it is one of those, it, again, that's one of the difficulties of reporting on, on these sorts of things is that a lot of different strands of thought get kind of, I mean, I think. And it, also it, who knows, the optics are bad and possibly I'm just being sucked into that because, mm, and really mm. this is a concerted effort to, to overwhelm her with this perception yeah, 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 that yeah. she can't if if the only thing they have to go against go well, at her again, I, I suppose also the, the other thing to note is that neither of us are, are experts on, on uh, finland's internal affairs this is the stuff that makes international news because it's very clicky and very grabby and and um, I, I mean watching the video there was nothing to it you know like it was really not that big of a deal no and, and which one of her mates is buddy sending, I know, is, is leaking, leaking this it. stuff yeah I know. Um, 
Uh, yeah, I mean, so I did think I think that the, the dancing footage, uh, from what the dancing footage that I saw anyway, did not give me any reason to think that that person is not it's capable someone... of this. I do think it's very fair to criticise a world leader during a, a <laughs> during a pandemic, <laughs> going and, and having fun and not having their phone with them. I think if Scott Morrison <laughs> did that, we would we'd, or or, or Alpha the Aldi, yeah, yeah. we'd we'd say yeah, probably deserves a few a few a bit of a kick for that one. To be yeah. honest, I mean, and that's the thing as well. She is of her generation in terms of. You know, selfie videos at parties or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah, yeah. Also, yeah, applying the lens of um, whether it would be just you know politically a little bit more astute to not take those videos and just. But also, but but then at the same time, if your whole life you've grown up, mm. you know, it's social media has has been part of your life. If you've got nothing to hide, then who cares? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I have no idea on this one, Charlie. <laughs> Who knows? Life is full of difficult grey areas, Life yes, is... and that's fine. <laughs> I just am I getting I... Can more concert more curmudgeonly as I get older? <laughs> I don't know. Nah, man, party, party hard. <laughs> it's all going to finish soon. Jesus Christ! <laughs> the end of the world is coming. <laughs> well, we got there. Forty-six minutes in, <laughs> just the apocalypse is nigh. <laughs> the apocalypse is nigh. Um, maybe if you're in more meetings and ending climate change, uh, it wouldn't happen. Prime Minister of Finland. No, I'm joking. Um, I wish we had a young person as a Prime Minister one of these days. Listen, I'm not even making sense anymore. Woo! Ah, that's right. Triple R. So obviously it's uh, it's coming up to a year of spin cycle and, and that sort of, as we spoke about a bit earlier, coincides with Radiothon, which is obviously our big push for Triple R subscribers, um, which we all, you know, deeply encourage you to do if you haven't already. Um, or do it next week when it's when it's Radiothon. When you can win the loot. And I think it, it kind of gave us uh, it gave us a nice little pause here um, to kind of, I guess, reflect a little bit on, on, on the show and... I guess like some of the some of the things that we've looked at. I mean, I, I don't know if you've got any thoughts initially, Jess, but about kind of your some of your favourite piece of build that we've spoken to. I mean, the one that the, the person that, that always kind of stands out, and I think you know, there's there's so many, there's so many, um, and this is all getting a little bit indulgent. But but the the, <laughs> the 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 interview that really stands out for me was our chat a few weeks ago with um, independent MP uh, Andrew Wilkie. Oh um, yeah, that was amazing. Where we spoke with him about his experience as a whistleblower during the early stages of the invasion of Iraq, and um, I, I suppose he was just a, a really wonderful example of someone who has both lived it but also had managed to survive it and thrive, and obviously eventually go into politics. And he was incredibly um, erudite and sort of uh, well across uh, the legislation and, and and how whistleblowers are punished in this country. And he himself is obviously a magnet for people who want to bring uh, terrible things about various institutions to light and don't know quite how to go about it. He's also, I mean, he's obviously also then devoted his political life subsequently. You know, he feels mm-hmm. there was a little bit of um, survivor's guilt in a way, yeah. wasn't there, yeah, that yeah. he has managed to have a career afterwards because he's seen how, and we've all seen how being a whistleblower has can destroy lives. I mean, the obvious example is, you know, Julian Assange and there are many, yes. many, many, many more. Um, but as a politician, he has also made it his kind of life's work to improve um, protections for whistleblowers. But mm-hmm. what, what I found so so amazing about that conversation was just how open he was. Obviously for someone who had um, 
taken such a huge risk and then sort of paid the price for it in mm. a way. There was nothing to hide, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There was no – there was – it was just so – he was just so honest and open in that conversation. It was just like this is this is it. This is who I am. I'm, I'm not constructing anything you know, mm-hmm. it's all out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and for sure, and yeah, exactly. And I think you know, uh, absolutely. And it, it was very telling. I thought I was thinking back about how you know most of the interviews that we do go somewhere between fifteen minutes and thirty minutes, and and some of them go longer. And that, of course, with 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 uh, with Andrew, we we got to basically about a minute to eight, and we had to <laughs> we had to go. Oh God, actually, we've got to, there's a whole other show that had to happen now. We have to cut this off. Yes. Um, yeah, that really – so that, that one really stood out. Um, I really loved talking to Fiona Kataskis. Yes. Who is yes. a cartoonist, political cartoonist and illustrator. I thought she was brilliant, you know, mm. just that energy, that bawdy energy, that mm. humour, the cheekiness, just the sharpness, yeah, yeah. you know, of, of that. But I guess being a cartoonist, the sharpness of the ob- observation but understanding it has to be en- entertaining too. The storytelling mm-hmm. has to be so um, big yeah, in a single yeah, yeah. frame or in a couple of frames. And um, and I, I reckon I'd love to chat to Fiona again because there is, you know, more changes afoot um, for, yes. for newspaper cartoonists. Yes. No, we meant to talk about this last week and we didn't really get to it. But, um, yeah, potentially there could be there could be huge um, – the 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 the, the uh, editorial cartoonists um, at News Corp. There's 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 a sense that there's, there's rumours that it's gonna they're gonna be finishing up. Um, in yeah, September. they're they're not gonna have any cartoons in the in the political cartoons. Well, I, I don't know. I I I, I don't know if, it, if it's they're not gonna have any political cartoons or they're just going to not have any. On, on staff, staff which, oh, might, which okay. might which might have been that makes more it sense. It's still yeah. it's still a very you know it's still a bad day for for visual. visual I mean, satire. even even in that conversation with Fiona, uh, you know, she was talking about how it's just changed so dramatically the landscape for political cartoonists. It was such a mainstay and such a huge part of newspapers and um, you know publishing culture. Um, 10 you know even a de- decade or two ago but certainly in the heyday of of, yeah, yeah. of broadsheets and newspapers and it's just slowly slowly just kind of the work has dwindled it's, yeah yeah and i think also the other thing that was so wonderful about fiona was that she um she had such a palpable and uh kind of obvious love for the art form and such an obvious like a, an obvious sense of why it was important and what it brought to uh, the national debate to be able to discuss issues in this way and to be able to and and I think you know and also the joy of getting it right of of mm. of, 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 of the, the one you know you don't get every not every cartoon lands but when you do it and it really communicates something very profound with just a few lines and some color that you know the, the joy of that feeling was very very I think um, vivid with her. Are there any others that stand out to you? Uh, well, I'm a little bit biased here, but um, <laughs> uh, Glyn Greensmith, my, um, uh, yes. who who uh, was a was, a, was a, a lecturer and a tutor of mine back at university, who um, is an inc- is a, also an academic and a journalist in his own right, and uh, has done a great deal of work on um, the role that media coverage of mass shootings uh, goes on to influence. And, and increase the risk of uh, further mass shootings. Uh, and he talked a lot about the, the, the script that mass shooters follow yeah, and the way that media, even sometimes with the best will in the world and the best intentions in the world, play into that. They play into the story that you that 
makes these horrible acts mean something to the perpetrator rather than the victim. Uh, and again, I think he spoke again with such uh, such passion and such grace about the importance of good journalism and what that can achieve, and 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 yeah, and I suppose also the, the flip side of, of the the awful devastation it can wring um, when it's not done when it's not done responsibly. I think that interview um, do, uh, for me serves the one of the real um, reasons that I love doing the show as someone who doesn't work the one person right, who doesn't yeah. work in the news media on this panel. You, you know, I represent the ho- hoi polloi, and <laughs> I don't understand. You know, I, I'm not as in. Uh, involved with or I all across all of the inner workings and machinations of a newsroom. I think it's brilliant when our guests and and you and uh, Najma as well sort of illustrate the real ways the media operates and the ways that reporting have such um, big impacts on how we understand the world and how we see you know sure and the, yeah, the, 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 the minutiae of those processes yeah uh, and yeah. all of those all of those so many decisions that are made in terms of you know in that case it was you know it was a massive decision for example in New Zealand never to use the name of the Christchurch yeah, shooter yes. yeah yeah and um unfortunately America has not followed suit since <laughs> but understanding everything that Glenn told us has given me such a perspective when I do see reporting you know out mm-hmm. of America because sadly the mass shootings continue and you can see what you know perhaps they're they're, they're really failing at these basic um these these basic terms of reporting that could make, have a huge Im- impact absolutely absolutely yeah there was another one that it was very brief because um I remember, I think Naomi, it was with um, general manager of the Koori Mail, mm, mm. Naomi Moran, and she was rushing back from the Lismore shop saying, <laughs> yes, when yes. we were trying to get onto her. So we only had a really brief chat, but I, I loved talking to her because it was, you know, at that time when Lismore was completely besieged by the floods and the yeah, Koori Mail yeah. had had pretty much gone under water. Yeah, um, not gone under as in stop publishing. Although they had stopped publishing <laughs> Well, they had bit, to for the but, first time in But when we years. say go on under, we meant literally underwater. <laughs> yeah, but it, it, to me that was um, – I love that conversation because it was a demonstration of how, you know, when a news service or a media service or a publisher is so vital to the community that they serve, how their role in a crisis transforms – Massively, you know. Mm-hmm. So even though the Koori Mail couldn't actually um, operate as a, a as a um, print publication, they automatically became a social media um, organization. Uh, they disseminated all of the information required yeah, to the yeah, community, yeah. especially to Aboriginal communities affected by the, the flooding in and around Lismore and also became almost like a triage centre in Lismore mm. for community support and just demonstrated how like a masthead like that is so fundamental to their community, not just in terms of how they tell and report news and Corey Mail is amazing. I'd encourage everyone to take out a print subscription. It's really awesome when you <laughs> when it arrives in the mail. It just gives you, you know, it just shakes you out of the way that you normally consume news media. It just gives you such a different perspective of a community. So, yeah, I, I love talking to Naomi and these are all people that we can talk to again. That's the joy of this show. The news doesn't – the news cycle doesn't end, <laughs> the, Charlie. The news is never finished. There is always more news. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll be back 
next week for a high energy edition <laughs> of Spin Cycle where y'all must subscribe. See you then. Bye, everyone. And that's all for this week. Thanks for listening. You can find us every week on your favourite podcast platform. And you can follow us on Twitter at Nadge Samble, at Lily Juice, and at The Shuffle Diary. You can also listen in at rrr.org.au via On Demand for the radio version of the show. Want to support Spin Cycle? Become a Triple R subscriber. Your subscription helps keep the station running and helps Triple R produce and create great radio and podcast content like this.